Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where I'd like to direct your attention. We're going to pick up the reading from uh, where Fred just left off in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 39 to verse 45. It's a little scene that is uh, tucked in uh, right after Gabriel announces to Mary that God has chosen her to be the mother of the Lord. She goes immediately and visits her older cousin, uh, Elizabeth, who is also pregnant, uh, the text says she hurries, she makes haste to go and uh, visit her. Uh, while you're turning, I'll just mention there were a hundred children here on Wednesday night for Awana, which was great. Uh, we have friends who don't go to our church inviting their friends to our Awana program. So um, uh, as, as uh, Steve Henson, the commander, often reminds us, um, people uh, seem to be most receptive to the gospel between the ages of four and 14. So if you want an opportunity to uh, target the most receptive audience you have to the gospel and read the Bible with them and play with them and pray with them, uh, you could serve in Awana, and that'd be awesome because God seems to be bringing a lot of children to our church. So uh, I just thought I'd share that good news with you. Now let's read from Luke 1, starting at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. I'm not going to pause so I read very much, except just right here. 80 miles, three days, very unusual for a young woman to travel like this alone. Um, We don't know the town she went to, um, but she went fast. The text says she went fast. This is an expression of her response to God's word. God told her Elizabeth was pregnant, and in response, she moved a faithful young woman. Let's keep going. So she went to Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit in a loud voice. She exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. (coughs) Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. If you put two pregnant women together in the same room, which sounds like the beginning of a joke, it's not. (laughs) But if you put two pregnant women together in the same room, how long will it be before they start talking about their babies and their bodies? Um... This, the, the sisterhood of pregnancy. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be a chauvinist when I say that. It's not a criticism. If you put two men with Eagles jerseys in the same room, how long will it be before they start to complain, right? <laughs> Here are two pregnant women in the same room, Luke tells us about, and uh, they have one topic of conversation, their babies. My goal today is, as we listen in on this conversation this morning is I want to help us help focus your attention on the reasons why we followers of Jesus celebrate his birth. Luke tells us how to respond to the news of Jesus' arrival by putting words for us to say in Elizabeth's uh, mouth. All of Christendom right now is feasting and making merry and exchanging gifts and you wonder sometimes if people understand what they're doing and why they're celebrating. Uh, Several years ago, some of you remember when we hosted as a church, we hosted a large group of Japanese junior high students. And they warned us before they came, these students, the the people who were leading this group, said, you know, uh, if you talk to your students about Christmas, it's a wonderful way to talk to them about 
um, Christ, but you recognize that uh, this is not their fault. How could you tell from American commercial celebration of Christmas? Many Japanese people think that Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Santa. How, how can you tell if you walk into uh, any uh, retail establishment in America? Wouldn't you assume that that could be the case? Well, so there's people who are confused, perhaps, and then there's all of us who are a lot of very distracted. There's parties and planning and baking and cleaning and family drama and traveling and gift wrapping and purchasing. There's so much to do. This week I saw a poll uh, from Pew Research of what people liked and disliked most about Christmas. Uh, Here are the top five answers to what people like the most about Christmas. 68% said spending time with family and friends. 11% mentioned religious services or religious reflection. That's good. At least 11% of you are with me this morning, so that's great. That's, we're after that. 11% of people look forward to the Christmas spirit of joy and goodwill. Uh, 5% said music, decorations, and shopping. 4% look forward to the end of the Christmas season. <laughs> what do you love most about Christmas? That it's almost over. One out of 25 people. Here's what people dislike about Christmas. Um, This is maybe why you're distracted and discouraged. 33%. The commercialism and the materialism. 22%. The money and the expense. 10%. The shopping and the crowds. 5%. The hectic pace and bad moods of people. And 2%. The pressure to go to church. So 11% of you are with me. 2% of you wish you were home. So... Let's not waste any time. Let's let's gather with me here in this scene in this unnamed town in Judea. Why does the birth of Jesus matter? This is better news than all the celebrations you'll have. This is a better gift than you will ever give or receive this year. Uh, Three reasons. Number one, this is an occasion for joy. This is an occasion for joy. Now Luke takes two chapters. Here's a little insight into his strategy as we think about the beginning of Luke. Luke takes two chapters here to tell us about the incarnation and birth of Jesus. And one of the things that he does is he alternates in the book between the story of the birth and arrival of Jesus' older cousin John, John the Baptist, and Jesus himself. So earlier in chapter 1, we have the announcement to Zechariah, John's father, that John is going to come. And then we have the announcement to Mary that Jesus is going to come. Then we have in Luke 2 the description of, uh, or later in Luke 1, sorry, the description of John's birth. And then in Luke 2, the description of Jesus' birth. So alternating stories. And, and one of the reasons that he does that, though, is to say that as great as John the Baptist is, Jesus is even better. And he does that by comparing them. So... Um, John, <laughs> John was born against all expectations to an elderly, infertile couple, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. That's amazing. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was born, even uh, bursting even more of our expectations, born to a virgin. When, when, when John is born, his father sings a wonderful song. When Jesus is born, angels sing. John is great. Jesus is greater. That theme is evident in in how Elizabeth rejoices over Mary when when she visits. So uh, think about this. This is how this works. Mary comes in and she visits, she greets Elizabeth. This is the way it should work. In this culture, 
uh, the younger greet the older. That's how you show due deference to your elders. So Mary speaks, and that's the way it should be. But then Elizabeth throws everything upside down by blessing Mary. Again, in this culture, the younger are to bless the older, not the other way around. But the Holy Spirit is at work, and he moves Elizabeth and the unborn baby John in her womb to rejoice. It's interesting they, uh, how, how Elizabeth describes this. Elizabeth describes this, or Luke describes this as leaping, leaping. Uh, how does it feel when your baby moves in your womb? I've heard it described at first, in your first pregnancy, a, a fluttering. You feel this fluttering and you wonder, what is that? Is that the baby? You're not certain. Then in the course of time, your baby starts to move a little bit more. And in the course of time, they start to, start to do things like stomping on your bladder and, and pushing at your stomach and poking you. Right? How would it be for you to describe a baby leaping? Yikes. Leap. Well, actually, that word leap is really important in the Bible. It's, yeah, the, this word leaped is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe what happened in Rebecca's womb uh, when she was pregnant with twins. It's in Genesis 25. Let me read it, and then I'll explain how that story and this story are related. So let's read Genesis 25:21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other. That's the word right there, leaped. It's jostled, leaped. Same word uh, in the Greek translation. Uh, in the English, it's jostled in, in, um, in the Old Testament and leaped in the New Testament. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So here's the story of John and Jesus, their cousins. Here's the story of their great, 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 great grandfather, Jacob, when he was in the womb and he was a twin. And in the womb, he and his twin, Jacob and Esau, they're fighting with each other. And the Lord told Rebekah that this fighting would characterize their whole lives, that they're going to be fighting, they're going to be constantly wrestling with each other for control, and they're jostling each other. Now, here in Luke is the story of, of uh, the same word, Luke uses the same word to describe John and how he in the womb responds to Jesus, who is also in the womb. Not the same womb, they're in the same room, but not the same womb. Jacob and Esau are womb mates, but, but John and, and Jesus are not. But notice here, Jacob and Esau in the womb are fighting with each other. They're jostling. John and Jesus are in the same room in the womb, and, and John leaps for joy. Older and younger fighting for power in Genesis. In Luke 1, older and younger, the older rejoicing over the younger. John's so pleased that Jesus has entered the world. He leaps for joy. Jesus is here. He's coming to the world. Yes, yes. Like a team on the sidelines when the running back carries the ball into the end zone. Yes, he made it across the line. Jesus is here. He made it. Yes, yes. Listen to what Christopher Ash says about this scene. This certainly says something to us about the real and human life 
of precious babies in the womb. They don't become human at birth. They can, in ways we can only discern in shadowy form, think and feel hope and fear, delight and grieve. And who dares to put a start date on the genesis of that real humanness unless it be the moment of conception? This vivid baby-in-the-womb drama certainly makes us wonder at the mystery of every other baby growing so secretly in the mother's womb. Here is life to be nurtured and treasured and guarded and prayed for. It's worth asking ourselves if there are ways in which we too can help others to nurture and treasure an unborn life in a world that sometimes holds them so cheap. Here's another detail in the text. We have this leaping baby, this leaping baby for joy. Luke says, too, that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. I have a question. How did she know all she says about Mary and her baby? How did Elizabeth know that? Maybe Luke left out some of the details and, and Mary's greeting was longer and it included this, this uh, long description of what's happened to her. Maybe... The impression, though, that Luke gives is that what Elizabeth knows, she knows because the Holy Spirit has told her. Now think about the Holy Spirit and His work in in these chapters. He fills Elizabeth in in chapter 1, and she prophesies. He fills Zechariah later in chapter 1, and he's going to prophesy. The text says about Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit filling her, she's loud. Now here's a woman after my own heart. She's loud. The Holy Spirit is moving her with with great exuberance. The Holy Spirit moves Zachariah, uh, Simeon, sorry, in chapter 2, moves an old man named Simeon to go into the temple so he can meet the baby Jesus. And then, most importantly, perhaps, in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she conceives. So what the Holy Spirit does, he, he produces in all of these people joy. He fills them. He moves them. They rejoice. I wonder if this is how you think about the work of the Holy Spirit. See, most of us, uh, many of us, uh, followers of Jesus, we spend so much time focusing on how we fail to live up to God's standards that we often believe that what the Holy Spirit really does well, that what the Holy Spirit was sent here to do was just to convict us, to make us feel guilty. That's what He's here to do. Well, the Holy Spirit does convict God's people. That's true. But the Holy Spirit, He may be convicting you, but He does that work so that you turn around again and find forgiveness, which is the sure and only path to joy. The Holy Spirit functions like a stop sign. Stop the direction that you're going. Stop making the choices that you're making. They're the, they're the wrong choices. And, and, and turn around. Get back on track. Get back on track. There's a good path over there. And, and when you find it, there's joy. The Holy Spirit, even in His convicting work, is aiming to produce joy in you. Some of you start the proce- stop the process halfway through. You uh, seem to luxuriate in the guilt and never move on to the joy that the Holy Spirit is pushing you toward. One of the ways that you recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is finding joy in God's great gift of His Son. Now there's one more connection here and it has to do with uh, uh, how John's story unfolds in the rest of Luke. So John is described as the forerunner of Jesus. He's part of the advanced team. 
this baby John, who's in Elizabeth's womb, he's going to grow up and he's going to be the forerunner of Jesus, the advance team. Uh, the Secret Service, before the president comes, the Secret Service goes in, make sure everything is safe, make sure everything's ready and set for him. And John is coming and he's going to make things ready and set for Jesus. In that role, he's very much like an Old Testament prophet. He dresses and eats like Elijah and he preaches like the rest of them. John, he doesn't pull any punches. He, he just says... Um, uh, human beings are in a state of enmity against God where his enemies were guilty before him, um, but the deliverer is coming. That's what John does. John is the last and the first, uh, final, sorry, he's the last and final great prophet of the Old Testament. And, and in his leaping joy, all of the hopes and expectations and longings of the Old Testament find their highest expression. Yes, yes. Jesus is here. The Savior is here. Everything we've longed for and wanted and preached about, He's here. So if you share in any of the longings that the Bible describes, if in the old, at pages of the Old Testament you find your story at all, maybe in the agonies of the book of Psalms or the disappointments in the book of Ecclesiastes or the fear that so gripped people in the book of Kings or the grief that brought Naomi low in the book of Ruth, or the cruelty in Judges, if that's your story, if you have experienced any of those, you can share in with the unborn John in his joy, in his own unborn cousin, who's greater than he is, but now here, he's now here. A mark of a true follower of Jesus is that the reality of who he is becomes to increasingly define who you are. That your life becomes increasingly described and defined and bounded by the supremacy and the greatness and the reality of the Lord Jesus. So as we focus, even as we begin on, on why we celebrate Jesus, we learn from Elizabeth that his birth is an occasion of great joy. Second, though, it's a sign of God's grace a sign of God's grace. It's an occasion of joy. It's a sign of God's grace. Twice in this passage, Elizabeth says of Mary, you are blessed. Mary is blessed. Now, normally the Bible uses the word blessed to describe a prayer or a wish. May God bless you. May, may God bless you. May he show you favor in the days that are to come. But here, Elizabeth speaks as if something has already happened to her, to Mary. Mary, you have already been favored. She has been blessed by God in her pregnancy. And this blessing from God is rooted in his bringing his promises to celebration, uh, to, to completion. That's always the, the source of blessing. God shows favor to human beings by doing what he says he's going to do. Now, we sometimes, sometimes we're sloppy when we talk about Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah, sometimes we're a bit sloppy. Wait, why were these people chosen by God? We sometimes think about it in terms of reward. Here are good people in the Bible, and, and good things happen to good people. Mary was good. In fact, Mary was better than any other young woman that God could have chosen, and that's why God picked her. Mary's good, and Mary gets rewarded. But that's not the way the Bible speaks about her. And in fact, it's not the way Mary or Elizabeth speak about her. See, to be blessed in the Bible is to be the recipient of God's undeserved favor. 
Um, Fred just read from Luke chapter 1, verse 28. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said to her, uh, You are highly favored. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was troubled. The text says she was troubled by this. What kind of greeting is this? She didn't say to the angel Gabriel, You know, I really am. I really am favored. I am hashtag blessed. I really am favored. I mean, I I really have been trying to be a good person, and I'm so glad that God finally noticed me being a good person. Because I I am a a good person. No, it's not what she says at all. And later she sings. She sings, I am a lowly servant. I am merely a lowly servant. Here's another passage that seems to... to, um, not diminish Mary, but uh, cast her more carefully in terms of being a recipient of God's kindness. Uh, look at Luke, look at Luke eleven twenty seven. Text says, as Jesus was saying these things, he's preaching later in life. A woman in the crowd called out, "Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you." And he replied, "Oh, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it." What distinguishes Mary, and we'll come back to this, is that she believed what the angel said, not in, her own, uh, not in her own inherent goodness. That's not what distinguishes her in the Bible. What distinguishes her in the Bible is that she took God's word at, at, at face value and believed it. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Now, Elizabeth, notice how Elizabeth speaks about herself too. She calls Mary the mother of my Lord. Elizabeth is not exalting herself in this passage. She says, the mother of my Lord. The baby is still in the womb. Jesus is still in the womb. And Elizabeth has already humbled herself before this baby and said, my Lord. That's my Lord right there in the womb, my Lord. Everyone who met the Lord Jesus, who ever had any contact with him at all, encountered the goodness and grace of God. The Lord Jesus is God's grace personified. Everyone who reads about Him or hears about Him or knows Him has been exposed in some way to the unmerited kindness and mercy of God. That's why we worship together. We gather together on Sunday mornings and if I do what I'm supposed to do well and I speak to you of Jesus, you are encountering the grace of God. You're hearing about God's undeserved kindness because he is the personification of this and Mary is blessed because she received this good news by faith and with joy. In fact, uh, this is one of the ways that you could describe our church. We are those who together have recognized that we need the grace of God and we have received the grace of God through the Lord Jesus. This is what unites us as a people, our neediness. We know it. We need God's grace. In fact, if you don't need God's grace, you are ineligible to be a part of our church. We sing the song. We sang it this morning. Oh, come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. You know what? If you're faithless and despairing and defeated, you can come too. Christ has come and we have received Him receive in him and through him undeserved kindness. It's grace that we celebrate the birth of Christ. His coming into the world is a sign of God's great mercy. It's a sign of God's grace. Now third, we've we've talked about Christ's birth as an occasion for joy. It's a sign of God's grace. Third, it is a call to believe. It's a call to believe. 
What distinguishes Mary in this story is how she responded to the angel's announcement. And Elizabeth recognizes She says in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What's interesting is Elizabeth says this about Mary. Oh, blessed you believe because Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, he got a message from an angel too and he did not believe. Elizabeth says, she doesn't say it this way. My husband, he didn't believe, but you did. (laughs) Blessed is you. That's wonderful. Mary, you believed. And there's an invitation actually in the text to everyone who reads this to believe too. It's very subtle. I wonder if you saw it. See, in verse 42, Mary says, Blessed are you, Mary. You're favored, you. But then in verse 45, she, she switches. She goes from the second person to the third person. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, why did Elizabeth do that? I think... That's an invitation. Mary, you believed. You believed, Mary. And anyone else who believes the Lord too uh, uh, will be blessed. Anyone else who believes that the Lord fulfills His promises will, will be blessed. It's, it's, it's a call for everyone. You believe, Mary, and anyone who believes will receive God's favor. This actually pairs well with, with what uh, Luke said about why he wrote his gospel. Uh, look back with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 4. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 4. So this book was written to a man by the name of Theophilus, for a man named Theophilus, uh, so that he would... Verse, look what verse 4 says. Why did he write this? So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So that you would know, Theophilus, uh, that what you have been taught is true and that God does fulfill all the promises that you've made and, and that you might believe that. And that fulfillment is bound inextricably in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. We're Christian people. And as Christians, we make certain confessions about the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe, we confess that He is God in the flesh, that He's truly human and truly divine. We confess that He lived a sinless life, the life that you you should have lived and that I should have lived. He met the mark of God's standards every single time. I don't. I am a sinner and I fall short of the glory of God. We confess that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve. We confess that He died and rose again. And all of this is the fulfillment of the promises that God has made. Do you believe that? Then, says Elizabeth, by the Holy Spirit, she pronounces you blessed, favored by God, a recipient of His grace. Maybe you can think of of, uh, this this call, you should think about this call as a, a, a... we, call, we believe the message as we hear it, and then we still live out of the resources of that faith. You, you become a Christian by faith, and then you live by faith. To become a Christian is to step into the stream of faith, I, I believe what God says, and then you live in that stream of faith. We live by faith. We continue to see God fulfill His promises and continue to believe God's promises. Sometimes that's hard. Maybe, maybe we should think of living by faith in terms of waiting. 
Are you waiting for God to do something in your life? To meet a need that you have? To alleviate some particular form of suffering? To provide a way out of a broken situation? Maybe you're waiting for God to lead you in the next steps. What what steps are ahead of me? Maybe you're waiting for God to direct you. In those waiting seasons, can I suggest to you that you're being challenged along these lines that Elizabeth is drawing? Will you believe that the Lord will fulfill His promises to you? Some of you recognize, you've come to the point in your life where you have recognized that your relief from the suffering that you're experiencing is never actually going to come in this life. That it will come in the life to come. Some of you are at the point where you're ready. You're ready for this life on earth to end and for the conclusion of your suffering through your being in God's presence. You've been following Him for 80 years or 90 years. It's enough. You're ready. You're waiting. You're just waiting. Is your waiting fueled by confidence that the Lord will fulfill His promises to you? I wonder if Elizabeth's encouragement in verse 45 can help you uh, when you face temptation. See, when we Christians sin, when we wander from the way, sometimes we do it because we're trying to bridge the gap. We're trying to fix the, the gap between the sorrows that we experience today and the fulfillment of God's promises. Life here is hard. God has promised relief. Are you willing to wait or are you going to reach out yourself and try to fix things? So you get angry or you worry or you try to escape with food or pleasure all in order to bridge that gap between the sorrows of today and the promises of relief that God has given to us. Blessed is the one who believes the Lord will fulfill his promises. I wonder how much Elizabeth, how much longer Elizabeth lived after this conversation with Mary. Elizabeth vanishes from the text. We know nothing else about her. She gave birth to John. Presumably she raised him. I don't know for how long. Did she live long enough to see him go off into the wilderness and start his prophetic ministry? Did she live long enough to watch him wrestle with his doubts about Jesus? Jesus was not the sort of savior that John thought he was going to be and he struggled with that. Did Elizabeth live long enough to see that? Did she live long enough to witness her son's beheading? I hope not. For her sake, I hope not. Did she live long enough to see or hear about Christ's own crucifixion and resurrection? And now I say, oh, I hope so. I hope so. If she did, it was a long wait. 30 years, at least. It's a long wait. I wonder... How long are you willing to wait? Blessed is she. Blessed is the one who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and we are glad to do so through Jesus Christ who is our Savior, whose coming is an occasion of great joy. Lord, we confess to you, we sometimes struggle to remember that, to focus on that. This week will be a good week for many of us. We will gather together with family and friends and we'll uh, see the exchanging of gifts and, and um, some of us will enjoy uh, time off. 
the end of the year here. We're pleased with that. We're, we're glad to receive all of these blessings from you. And yet I pray that you, according to your kindness, would remind us of these, um, the, the true joy that is to mark us this season, that Christ has come. Help us to join into the leaping John's testimony and the exuberant and loud words of Elizabeth. Grant, Father, that we too, though like Mary and like Elizabeth, might embrace your word with wonderful confidence. Help us to remember in moments of despair or suffering that you do fulfill your promises. All of us, Lord, we confess we are waiting and some of us really don't like it. Hard. Help us to remember that you fulfill your promises and that it is a blessing to believe those promises, to receive grace from you as we believe your promises. Thank you for the good news of the Lord Jesus, his death and resurrection for our sins and that we have life and forgiveness in his name. Now the true celebration of, of this wonderful season. Help us, Lord, to remember wisely, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.